0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of bros pod, Bill Roden on sports uh busy week we've had so far and we have a couple guests in the house, two people that you know of for sure. Uh first I gotta I gotta welcome the great legendary Bill Roden to his own show. How you doing, Bill? <laughs> I'm a guest on my own show.
1: <laughs> hey, what's going on, Jamal? What's going on? Holding it down in New York City.
0: Good to hear you. You're you're definitely in an underscore. Yeah, vacation. good being
1: here. Fresh from a very long uh road trip. You know, which I'll tell you about later, but long and short, I drove from uh, L.A. to, uh, you know, saw the uh, the uh, the Rams beat Dallas. Uh-huh. Then drove to Kansas City and saw New England beat uh, um, Kansas City. Right. Left a lot of broken hearts in Kansas City.
2: Yeah. Okay. And then, and, of course, made my too.
1: way up north. I was at Hampton, at Hampton University uh, a couple of days ago. uh uh-huh trying to, you know, ask students why the hell they want to be in this business. And, uh, you know, been here with uh, you and the great, well, I'll let you introduce, introduce, you know, the co-host, the, the, the,
0: the, the what do you call it, tri-host, tri-host? I guess we got tri hosts now. Trifecta. Okay, yeah. I'll let you, I'll let A you do the Triumphant, triumphant. Triumphant, I like that even better. Oh, the triumphant, okay, all right. So of course uh the other the third co-host is uh is the great Nabate Isles we introduced him to you last week uh Boy, formerly serious yeah. NBA serious XM NBA radio and he's he's our property now um <laughs> and he's doing big he's doing, he's doing big things already uh for the program yep. uh welcome once again Nabate thank you thank you hey
3: Nabate pleasure pleasure to join you gentlemen absolute honor honor yes indeed
0: good stuff so bill uh these road trips, man. How do you do it? How do you how you how you do all that? Uh, you drive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Get behind the wheel. Uh, uh, you know. No, but, you know. I mean, listen, man. It's, I was thinking about this. Some people, some people like to to, to hike uh, the uh, Appalachian Trail. Some people like to climb. You know, mountains. Right. And some people like to take long road trips. You wow. know. And some people don't like to do anything. So <laughs> my thing. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Nabate, yeah. I don't know what you thing is. What do you
0: like to do, Jamal? Uh, what do I like to do? I like to watch basketball. I watch a lot of basketball, mm. um, sports, but but I do like... I mean, what do you do? Like, no, I like, if I like, you, I like, I like long, to do something. Like, what I was going to do, huh? I like to travel, um, but I don't mind, you know, the flights and the planes, but I, but I also, <laughs> like you said, I don't really mind road trips. I like them, you know, especially, you know, with the with the fam, it's always cool, uh, you know, um, sp- that's a good way to spend time with uh with your family sometimes. Um and even by yourself. I like I like to you could get your mm-hmm. thoughts together.
1: Res- mostly by yourself. <laughs> Where'd you take your two kids <laughs> two, ki- two young people on a long road trip yeah. that
0: that's true. too long real quick? That's true. I haven't been on I haven't been on one now that I have two kids. That that might be scary. <laughs> yeah, take take that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll wait on that. Maybe I'll wait a while on that. No, but I hear I hear you. I hear you. Sounds good. Um so a lot lot going on as always in the sports world but but the big probably the biggest news for sure was uh uh the great the great great frank robinson uh passed on Thursday of this week um and you know we know what he meant to baseball, but just to you know hist- american history black history mm-hmm. in in general i know bill you you've you know you pro- you've covered a lot of 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 what he did for baseball, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on... on
1: uh, Frank yeah, was, uh, yeah, again, he was, you know, Frank Robinson was one of the great pillars. Um, I think my first interaction with him, was, well, I was you know, growing up, I always remember him, like, you know, with the Cincinnati Reds, and then uh, when I was in Morgan and bought the Orioles, had those great Orioles teams. Of course, it was always Frank and Brooks Robinson, you know. And um, when I got to Ebony, I was at Ebony in 1975, and that's the year he became the first... Uh, black manager, right? Um, you know, in, in Major League Baseball. If he was a player manager, and I think his first game he had a home run. Right, right.
2: <laughs> and,
1: um, I met him. Um, you know, I, I speaking of driving, I had an interview with the L.A. Times. One of those kind of phony, bogus interviews uh, with the L.A. Times when the when the stuff was. You think it's segregated now? <laughs> God. <laughs> and uh, I drove out, and at the time he was the. Manager, I believe, of the Los Angeles Angels. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I spoke to him then. And, uh, so over the years, we spoke about a lot of stuff. You know, Frank was, um, just filled with a lot of information. You know, I mean, he was just really good. And, um, you kind of had to know your stuff when you approached him. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he was one, if you didn't know what you were talking about, he, let you know and everybody else know, you know, <laughs> right, right, you know. Um, but um, you know, then I obviously became a you know in the front office with Major League Baseball. So um, you know, man, he was just he was just really, just just really uh, a great player, great executive. He was a pioneer, um, and you know, it's just one of those pillars that you, you're just losing another great pillar. Did you guys, did you, either you guys have any interaction with him.
3: I wish. I wish. Uh, like, mm-hmm. definitely um, what what really stood out to me about um, Mr. Robinson was just he was able to translate with the Times. You know, he was still a manager in the mid-2000s with, with the Nats and um, being able to translate and, and also what people have said that of the information that he provided them, you know, and, and also especially you know he was tough on on fellow African American players younger players and everything he was tough on them yeah. you know and and they were wondering why is that but we all know why that has to be the case you know like uh that that means he loved and cared for uh brothers that were coming up behind him you know um but but to me another thing he was underrated Mm. Two under yeah, as true. as a player, that's I think true. I think his significance has more you know as a pioneer that is significant, and I think that's more significant than what he did on the field. Mm-hmm. But what he did on the field is just amazing. That that cat like he he was aggr- as aggressive as they come as a hitter. Uh, and and being the only player to be the MVP in both leagues, right. still has never been done. Yeah. We've have we've had Cy Young winners in both leagues, but it's different to be an MVP as a player in both leagues. And and he yeah. he was he was just overly o- underrated as a as a player.
0: Right. Yeah. And to, and to jump on that, I mean, just to to go over what he accomplished in the game, uh, besides being the first black manager. Um, he was a 14-time All-Star, <laughs> two-time mm, wow. two-time World Series champion. You mentioned the two MVPs, one in the NL, one in the AL. Mm-hmm. He was a World Series MVP in 1966. Mm. He, won, he won the Triple Crown in 1966. He was the nationally rookie of wow. the year in 1956. Mm. He was a Gold Glove Award winner. He was, <laughs> and then he was a Manager of the Year in 1989. Okay, yeah. So I don't know what he didn't wow. do. What didn't he do? Yeah. And that Orioles
3: team right. in 89. How do you get 80s?
1: underrated? <laughs> right. you know, to to Navate's point, how, do you, how are you underrated with those kind of accomplishments? I, uh, uh, you know, And that may be you – know, when you read, read that again, Jamal. I mean, I think people need to <laughs> – I mean, that, that's
0: incredible. Read, read, read his resume again. 14-time All-Star. Okay, all star. All star could be 14. by the fans or whatever, but two-time World Series champion. We all care about rings. Wow, MVP in both leagues, as Nabate said. Mm. World Series MVP, so he was clutch, and mm. when, when it mattered, right. he played his best. 1966 triple crown that same year. 1966, nationally rookie uh. of the year, so he came in doing his thing, and he was he could he could field. He was a Gold Glove Award winner <laughs> in, in 1958. <laughs> Come
1: on! Unbelievable. Anyway. I, I, it, I think when I think back on it, because one of the things I did want to say is I thought I always found Frank to be a little prickly, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I also understood is that I think if you were him, you know, he never really did get quote. Well, I was talking about that quote unquote his due, right. you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And trust me, if he had been a white player with those kind of, you know, they would name the Hall of Fame after
3: him, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, what year, what year is it that he, um, he broke into what year?
3: Oh, uh, 56, and, and rookie of the year in 1956. Right,
1: mm-hmm. right. So imagine, and that's only really like, you know, what, eight years or something after uh, Jackie? Yes. So he was really, Nine years, yeah. maybe that maybe second or maybe third, maybe he was like the third wave of black players entering into professional sports, not just in the uh, Major League Baseball but remember, you know, pro football, pro basketball, you know, because you really didn't have a great president. So he was really that maybe second and a half, second and a half wave of black players. Uh, I remember a guy named R.C. Owens. His nickname was Alley Oop. Alley Oop was sort of in that era, too. Um, when did Elgin Bay, look at Elgin Bay. There's a whole group of guys. Who start coming into professional sports right around the fifty seven, well, uh, Oscar Robertson. Yeah. yeah. And speaking you know, of speaking
0: of that, he actually he played high school basketball with, with uh with uh, Bill Russell, Bill Russell oh, yeah. out west. In Oakland. Like, in Oakland, yes. Yes. Oakland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Oakland, yeah. Played yes. high school yes. basketball with Bill Russell. I mm-hmm. mean, are you serious? <laughs> what, kind, <laughs> what kind of team is yes.
3: that? Yeah. And he probably yeah. was a better basketball and player, player maybe, than baseball, like Jerky. Right. <laughs> <I> <laughs> like I mean, the
0: other guys. Right. That is unbelievable.
1: Yeah. And Elgin, just, yeah. just really great. Yeah, Elgin Baylor. But yeah, it's, it's a very in interesting 50s. era to study. Because, you know, Bill Russell, I think Kurt Flood was a little younger than him. Mm-hmm. But all those guys were right there. They called it a corridor. I forgot the highway there. But they all grew up in that corridor, uh, up and down. C.C. Sabathia is sort of around there. But. I mean, just I don't want to. I don't want to lose. Well, I don't want to underrate him. Right, you know right. that. You know he was. I, I think that probably like a lot of guys then. You know, you 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 a lot of like a lot of black men, particularly then, that you were probably you know Wilma Rudolph
2: hmm.
1: was around that era. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know her area was the '60 Olympics. You know, but that was really I think that you know you have the Jackie era. You know, when it's just being a pioneer, but then you've got that era with Frank Robinson coming along, Bill Russell coming along, Oscar, where it went beyond just sort of being the pioneer, and these guys start changing the game, yes. you know, making people change the rules of the game. Jim
3: Brown so, as well. Jim Brown as well came in. Yeah, Jim Brown was around that era. I mean, it's really
1: yeah. a very fascinating era. If you look at that wave of black athletes coming into Major League Baseball, and that's you Major League Baseball, Basketball, um, you know, Pro Football, it was a very important area. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of these young guys need to know, even if they didn't know Frank Robinson, they need to study that era just to know where they fit in. In other words, what era are we in now? If you look at the Michael Jordan era, mm. you know, where now, you know, he helped, you know, commercialize the sport, like it was mm. okay for black folks to, to endorse products. You know, that kind of stuff. So uh you know, Frank Robinson and those guys it's very important and I do think that, you know, I don't know how you ever address wrong. You know how do you heap praise on people, you know, when they were under you know, underappreciated. But just you know, Jamal, when you read when you read those his accomplishments,
0: it's unbelievable. No, it's unbelievable. But this guy can I mean it's really unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know, time time does that. You know, we're in the era we're in now. We we kind of tend to discount what people did in the past. It, yeah. was, it was a different game. I mean, you you could re- really make the point that the game was may may have been better. I mean, when you look at when you look at the representation of African Americans in the Major League Baseball now, mm-hmm. there might have been more back then. You know, do, yeah, and, no, they were. Yeah, they were more back then, and playing and playing huge roles. And, and to me, if you take you take a group of athletes like that out of out of the of uh, the equation, mm-hmm. it might have been a better league back back then. Yes, certainly.
1: You're right. You had a uh, I don't know. I mean, we have to yeah, <clears throat> I mean, you know, lean on Nabate to give us analytics. Yeah. yeah, come on. Of whether they were actually <laughs> more back then, but that was certainly the era of Hank Aaron, Willie Mays.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, there are a lot of tremendous guys. I mean. Today, well, who do you have? Who are the great players, great black players today? Uh, you know, who do you consider great right off the top of your head?
3: Uh, wow. I mean, you have to. Well, baseball player. I would say CC head into the Hall of Fame, you know, not yeah. all-time great, but still great in his era. Um, I mean, but, wow, I can't. You know? Really think of you know Barry
1: Bonds is gone. No, right. Mookie, I mean, Mookie Betts,
3: Mookie Betts, yeah, Mookie Betts, M- Mookie yeah. Betts, uh, yeah. I guess Mookie MVP, Betts uh, MVP, MVP. Uh, but I mean, yeah. you kind of have to. What the guy uh, used to play
1: in
0: Pittsburgh, and now he's with somebody oh, else, Andrew McCutchen
3: so. as well. McCutcheon. But
1: kind of yeah, faded McCutcheon. a little
0: bit. Mm, he's falling off a little. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, Griffey. So yeah, no, you know, man. I mean, certainly nobody like Mays, Clemente, who now I know the Clemente. What well, you know? He he was uh, Puerto Rican, right? But again, even even back then the guys who are from Latin America, they consider they align themselves with black players. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Marshall, Cepeda, all those guys, they align themselves with black people. Well, I, I I don't want to speak out of school. Mm-hmm. It's my sense. I don't know if the Latin players really see themselves or align themselves with black players, but I don't know. Right. Maybe we'll have to have somebody on the show one right. day and, and talk about it.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely changed yeah. as far as that goes. Let me ask you something about, about Robinson. Was, was he political at all? You know, uh, you know did he? You know, what would, did he make his feelings known?
1: that's a really good question. Um, that's a very good question. I, I don't think I don't know if he was overtly political. You know, I think that like a lot of those guys behind the scenes. I don't know if he was openly campaigning, for example, for uh, you know, for uh, John F. Kennedy. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't know if he joined demonstrations. But that's, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if he was as out there as Jackie Robinson became.
3: Right. Because that was a know. civil rights movement uh, but, right there. You know, that, I, mean, that,
1: that's a very, I think that, I think that, um, I may have spoken to him about this just off the record. Mm-hmm. I think he was very aware right. of, you know, not having no blacks in front office.
0: And I think when he, when he... You
1: know, I think he was definitely political when it came to his sport, blacks in his sport.
0: Right. And, yeah. when, and when he became the first black manager... Uh, you know, one of the things he did say is he wished he he wished that Jackie Robinson was still alive to see that. You know, so obviously right. it played a huge part.
3: And then, and then another thing was that he, when he times that he was fired and everything, he never he said I didn't do the job, the jo- You know, like he right. he looked at it as him and as saying that it's me, you know, and everything, and 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 that's that's you know he and that's the thing which was which was great about him you know like um but he did it subtly by by being a mentor to mm-hmm. young black players mm-hmm. and and being that mentor he did it subtly but still like for what he went through to be a manager to be an executive you know that's oh, no question. he took you know and and, and always acknowledge Jackie Robinson you know and him and Hank Aaron was so tight they were the first they were part of the Hall of Fame class 82 like, mm. You know, like that's amazing. Mm. You know, both those mm. guys. <laughs> so,
1: but and maybe you know, I mean, I don't think anybody could ever say Hank Aaron didn't get his his due. Although, I mean, if, again, I always temper this. If they were white mm-hmm. and did what they did, but mm-hmm. I don't know if you could say that Hank Aaron hasn't been acknowledged. But and maybe it's because
0: the home run record,
1: Frank Robinson did so many, huh? Because he did so many things. Right, Mm -hmm. you know, it's almost you think about it. You know, I mean, I call myself relatively fluent in this stuff, and I forgot all the stuff that he did. I mean, that stuff was incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah, no Um, question about it. So rest, rest in peace to the great, to the great Frank Robinson. Yep,
1: the great Frank Robinson. Yes.
0: Um, Getting back to other. Non-important issues. uh, The the Super Bowl. You were at at the Super Bowl. uh, You know, and and to me, it was extra non-important because uh, you know I'm I'm, I'm one of the people who had Patriots fatigue, um, Patriots and Brady fatigue. But they did it again. Uh, They got their sixth title. Um, They made the boy genius uh, McVeigh. They kind of embarrassed him. I would say they look like they're in nursery school. Yeah, I mean they put yeah. up three points. I mean this was a, supposed to be a you know offensive juggernaut, mm-hmm. and they put up three points. You, you, yeah, you know what I, thought? I mean, I mean
1: a in terms of being fatigued, all that you got to beat people. I mean yeah. you know right. I mean that's
0: right. And they lost last old. year. They lost last
1: um, year. You know, but I, I guess what I thought, <clears throat> you know, throughout the playoffs, yeah, I'm a journalist, so I'm always cheering for the story. Right. So so throughout the playoffs, yeah, I've been doing this series of stories on black quarterbacks. You know uh, Lamar Jackson, those guys, and and uh very you know it was it was a very intriguing journey, and although none of them reached the Super Bowl, I mean Mahomes came within an offside penalty right.
2: reach
1: of reaching the Super Bowl. I thought that if I I tend to think I don't know what you guys think that that whole you know the, the run pass option quarterback and the mo- is, is just is coming. There's nothing you can say about. It. But I did think that if a guy like Goff, would have lit it up and would have just turned it out and been great. That would have made it harder to make the case because people say, well, see, you know, yes, yeah, see, he's a dropback quarterback. Look, but I think that it did the opposite effect because you look at how he just got beaten up. Right. There are times you, man, I wish this guy could have got the way. I wish he could have moved. I wish he could have, you know, put a little more pressure on the defense. So I think, if anything, it probably underlined the idea that, you know what, movement matters. As a quarterback, you got this stuff, you know, Kyler Murray coming in. Mm-hmm. I think what Mahomes did, mm-hmm. you know, obviously Russell Wilson, right. e- you know, even Lamar Jackson, Cam, of you course. know, I think that people are saying, A, it's more exciting and you got to, but what do you guys think? Maybe that's a debatable issue.
0: No, I think, I think you're right. I I didn't think about it like that, but I mean, that's, that's a great point. I mean, the, the quarterbacks, the athletic quarterbacks, black, black quarterbacks who, who do different things. Like, not all these black quarterbacks are actually runners. Even Mahomes doesn't run that much. When you think about it, he's kind of all a right. classic, uh, he's kind of an Aaron Rodgers mold. A More little of bit, a scrambler. He ben, scrambles ben, when he has to, him. Still, still throws. Um, but they're here, and they're coming. I mean, you want it's, it gets to the point where you want the best player at that position. It used to be, um, if you're a great athlete, uh, they put you other places because they, could, they feel like they, they could put someone just with a strong arm um, at the quarterback position, and now it's clear that we you want the best athlete slash player slash thinker at that position, and a lot of and that's and you know just so happens uh, that's going to be a, a black player a lot of the times now in in today's day and age. But so and it, and you can't deny that.
3: And now, but now you have um, now you have white quarterbacks that are playing that way. That's true. You know, kind of, which true. is interesting, like right. Tr- Mitchell Trubisky. Right. Could run and and, uh, and Andrew Rogers, Luck, who I mentioned, yeah, yeah, and Andrew Luck too can move. You know, um, and he you know got more comfortable in moving more as the season went on. Of course, sh- you know shoulder and everything like that just right. makes Dar- sure Darnold kid. from the Jets you know, can Sam move. Yeah, yeah, you know, so. like
0: you have it, it's at that point where you just have to have you have to have those skills. You have
3: to be able to extend right. plays at the end of the day. But, but but they
0: can't
1: do it. And I think this is something that, that, that Warren Moon pointed out. You know that yes, everybody's doing it like in the NBA. Yeah, I mean everybody's doing a crossover, even in right. high school. Right. You know what used to be considered like a black game, even white guys, right. not because it's flashy, because you just have to do it. But nobody could do it really like brothers, right? Because mm-hmm. that's our game, right? You know, we that's you just just it's almost spiritual. I mean, you know, just, that's <laughs> mm-hmm. just kind of our game. Right. Yeah, I mean it just is, you right. know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but you have to do it as a matter of survival. But and I think coaches realize, but I think in the press box. You know, there's this bias, and 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 you know, there's still this resistance to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, nobody calls Andrew Luck when he does it. They don't say, "Uh oh, you know, is that sustainable?" Right. You know, he's an athletic quarterback. I mean, he plays more like a black quarterback. You know, he does that, but nobody says that. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, when he does it, they don't really say that. You right. know, it's just oh, well, they, they, oh yeah, well, he can really move, but. No, but he, he stays in the pocket. So, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just think there's still a, a bias against that. Um, but I think, like, like you guys said, I think that style, number one, is exciting. Right. If you would have had a guy like that in the Super Bowl, at the very least, it would be exciting. Mm-hmm. That, what we saw then was
3: not exciting.
0: And it, yeah. and it gives you another option, right? And, 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 and just
3: to say, speaking of that, what I noticed in the Super Bowl was that this Rams offensive line, that won the award as best offensive line, you know, they were just totally manhandled by the Patriots front right. seven. And and that's right. the thing. And Jared Goff could not make the adjustments in being able to move. And he has to work on that. Like, I'm not saying for him to be a running quarterback like we were talking about, but he's going to have to really learn how to kind of be able to uh, to move in the pocket, extend those plays and everything, and, and that that was, the, that was the difference in that game, you know, like to me.
1: Let me ask you this, Navate. You use the term running quarterback, and to me, whenever I hear that, I kind of cringe a little bit because mm. you say somebody's a running quarterback. Well, you're a quarterback. True, you play the position. True, true. And, you know what I'm saying, you play the position, and if you got to escape, then you're totally capable of doing that, and the defense knows it too, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, know, I think I know what you meant. When you said running quarterback. But when you say running quarterback, I think you automatically mean black. Mm-hmm. I mean, people automatically see that. Not, and not. also that implies certain limitations. But not. That if you're a running quarterback, you can't throw.
3: Oh no 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 not what do you think not, about, not you think about yeah, that? Yeah, you know that's funny that you that you call me out on that. No, 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 I definitely don't. Of course I don't say I wasn't calling you out my <laughs> 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 No, but I but you know what? But terminologies, <laughs> terminologies, certain terminologies. No, mm-hmm. that that's that's good that you like, let me know about the, you know, like, and and everything, but no, but definitely, like, in ge- that's the problem, like, when when because, like I said, with Trubisky, I think he's a running quarterback, even though he's not, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, even though he's white, so right. it's deep. But no, no, right. no, but you're you're right. That terminology automatically is is being reflected on on the color of the skin for and sure. And you that know? and
0: that goes back to to your point, Bill, what you said before in terms of uh, you know the press box and how it's interpreted. By people in the media, and it's also, you know, I, I think it's coaches within the game as well. So when you have a you have a black quarterback who runs, it's automatically interpreted as he cannot read the defense, so he he has to run. Right. You know, that's I think, why he has to run. It, it, yeah. It's the ment it's the mental. They go straight to the mental game and assume that right. he that he doesn't have the same mental capability because he's running. You know, he's not sitting back there right. and and going through the reads, which is not true anymore. So I think they that, Right. That's that's the thing. and they don't, but they don't say that about an Andrew Luck. It's just assumed that he can make the reads. It's, it's assumed, right. right, that they can do this,
1: right? You know, uh, and that when you have to run, like even Trubisky, right? He's mm-hmm. he's he's capable of doing it when pressed, right. as opposed to you know you're like just picking any back there and you're like, ah, I gotta go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me <laughs> not. you know that kind of stuff.
0: Right. <laughs> and even and even Lamar Lamar Jackson. And all, I mean, first of all. It doesn't make any sense. These guys, just like, I don't care if you're white, black, you've been playing football uh, since you're like seven, eight years old. Uh, you've been playing probably your position since at this point uh, from that age. You know how to read defenses, okay? Okay. You, you know, right. you, you, this is all you know. You, you know, you, I mean, you probably don't even go to class. You know, football. Okay, that's what that's what you do. White, <laughs> white or black. Right. I'm talking about white or black. Right. Okay, this is what you right. do. So, you, I'm sure by the time you get through college, you get to the pros, you understand defenses and how to read defenses. So it's just a joke right. that people that people will put out there, like, oh, he, he has trouble reading the defense, or or we have to cut the field, and you know, the classic thing you always hear, they have to cut the field in half for him. He can only read. Oh, uh, one side at <laughs> right. a time, you know. Right. No, He's how, how about maybe, level, you know? maybe he can just run and pick up forty yards. Right. How about that? Yeah, right. Uh-huh.
3: And, and right. And, yeah,
1: yeah. And then hmm. you game plan for. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting. Not interesting. I hate that word. But you know, when San Diego played um, Baltimore, and their strategy, you know, the playoffs, and they say, okay, their strategy is to, I think they may have put like five or six defensive backs. In there, mm-hmm. you know, and so I'm thinking, well, okay, so if you did that to Belichick or something, you know, and you put like, you know, eight defensive backs there, he said, okay, well, you can't cover everything. You can't, you can't cover the run effectively. Right. Mm-hmm. If you've got eight, if you're playing with eight defensive backs. So to me, it's, it's, it's just a, at some point, it gets to the head coaches or coaches of people adapting, you know, um, but anyway, I just think that this, like with Kyler Murray, these guys, I just think, man, this, this, no matter what they say, and you mentioned the press box, so I'm at the Super Bowl, man, and again, this is a, a unique. And Jamal, you've been with me. And then Abate, you we've all spent mm-hmm. time in the press box and press areas. Mm-hmm. And and the representation in the press box, has I mean, it's so, such a far cry from the representation on the field. Yes. And, and this isn't to cast aspersions on the guys in the press. But yes, I've got good friends there. But it's still a overwhelmingly white press box with white men and white women and not a whole lot of black folks. And I just think that's always a dangerous combination when you have white people sitting in judgment of mostly black people, particularly black men. That's Uh not a good
0: combination. And I think that's, to me, that's the biggest issue. With a lack of sensitivity. Right, because those are the... These are the people telling the stories. Okay, these are the people telling yeah. uh, the fans of the game the stories of, of what's going on, and, and, and you're only getting one perspective. And you're right; it's, it's not always the person's fault. Even you know that's what they see. Yeah. That's through their experience. Well, that's well, what they've been taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: how they grew up. Yeah, right? yeah it is you know, almost. Yeah. You're right. That's why, like, it's something I've thought about this for like a year. I'm like sports journalist programs, you know, communications programs, they should have a mm-hmm. cultural uh, a class on 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 African American culture, on African American history, no to questions. understand. Well, better yet, have black people in. The <laughs> <laughs> black. <laughs> 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 <Or> professors, <laughs> and professors <laughs> as professors. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> you're, you're just creating more jobs for them, Nbaté. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 I know, I know. That's a great idea. Let's have some more white professors teaching yeah, about yeah, black right? Well,
0: you know. <laughs> and then, uh,
1: oh God, Jesus, man. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, you yeah. got to get early in the morning to be just... A, I, mean, I mean, I know we'll probably touch it later in the show, but I'm like listening, and when you drive from, from L.A. to New York, you got lots of time to listen to a lot of stuff. But this whole latest thing with Kevin Durant, for example, right. and the underlying thing with, with Kevin, we should, could debate that, but the narrative that this guy, you know, they are talking about how Kevin should be grateful mm-hmm. for being in the NBA.
3: How he's sensitive. And
1: it's his job quote quote. to sit there with all these mostly white guys and answer these damn insulting ass questions. And, and 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 what they did was point out. Well, look how LeBron handles it. Look at and and, and they always do that. Mm-hmm. They'll say, well, you have one one black guy who takes exceptions. Well, Kobe didn't you know, look at look how they handle it, you know. And you know Durant is a kid, he's clearly very sensitive. You know he thinks about this stuff. And he's like, man, why do I have to deal? He asked the guy, why why do I have to talk to you? How, you know, who the hell are you, mm-hmm, right. you know? And then I'm listening to the pushback on sports talk, which is mostly white, you know, white management, white, you know, white, 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 and a couple, you know, and the guy, well, the underlying thing is how grateful, how grateful Kevin Durant should be. You know, like y'all can't be grateful about not doing anything and being able to do all this. y'all. You know, anyway, I don't want to. Well, I do want to get off tangent. What do
0: y'all think about that? <laughs> I, I I go both. I I agree with your point. I go both ways on it. Um, I think mm. you know. I know what he's dealing with. Um, you know, we'll we'll get in we'll get and, into it. And I think, as far as that goes, but no. Okay. I,
3: and I think LeBron actually LeBron handles it in a way where he he calls the media out himself. You know, and he he's ready. Like for example, the I Can't Breathe. I was in the locker room when he um there was a scrum around him that when he was wearing the I Can't Breathe shirt, brief shirt, excuse me. And someone in the media asked him a couple, I think it was it one person yeah, that asked him to, you know, tell us the significance of that shirt. And he was like, You know what the <coughs> significance is of this shirt. And then he stopped for a second and was like, I'm done.
0: Right. You know, like come right. on, right. That's what we're talking and that's, about. and that's what I think <laughs> I agree with you as far as Durant. And and the whole grateful thing, he you know he, he worked for everything he has, you know I'm not for that. You know but where did you
1: what where, where, where did you agree? Where don't you agree?
0: I do I think uh, he, I do think he's a little sensitive with the with the media. I think I think there was a. Wh- I mean, he could just shut it down. I mean, in my opinion, he could have just said, "Listen, I'm not talking about uh, this free agency until July 1st. I'm about to win his third championship." He could have taken the Russell Westbrook uh, approach and just said, uh, right. "Next I- question." You know, so that's just. That's just how I see it. But but we got we got uh, a special guest coming up in a few minutes. We're gonna get more into this NBA uh, talk and free agency and Kevin Durant's rant and all that. Uh, so we'll be is back. Is that the great Sekou Smith? I think so. I think so. <laughs> so we'll we'll, we'll, be, uh, we'll be back. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and thirty day free trial at www. Dot audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports. Check it out. All right, we're back. Uh, we're, gonna, we're about to talk NBA, all things NBA, and, and a lot has been going on for sure. And uh, we bring another guest into the show, uh, the great, great, Sekou Smith doing a lot of good stuff for NBA.com dot com and NBA TV. How you doing, Sekou?
4: I'm good, man. Thanks for the introduction. I appreciate that. Uh, very honored to join you guys.
0: Our pleasure. Yeah. Our pleasure yeah, to have
4: well,
1: you. Hey, hey, Sekou, this is uh, uh, Bill uh, at an undisclosed location. But we, yeah, before we were talking about um, uh, KD, and I just wondering what your what your take is on the on you know the news conference and at the end of the day how is he right how is he wrong and and almost as a media how are we right how are we wrong yeah
4: i mean that's a great question it's, you know the, the biggest burden on kd is as you know the, the two time reigning finals mvp one of the best players on on planet earth is that what comes along with being a player of that magnitude is the media obligation and the responsibility to represent the Golden State Warriors in, in the NBA at large. Um, you know, I get that, that players have always had a, a mixed emotions about us being in locker rooms and how to deal with us and whether or not they have to befriend everybody or, or you know, be prickly when we come in there and, and guard themselves. But you can't be naive in this age, not in this social media age if you're Kevin Durant. And and think you're going to shift all the responsibility for the narrative surrounding you as a player on us. I don't think that's right. Um, now, him calling out Ethan Strauss in the press conference the way he did, uh, you know, certainly his attitude about why should he have to talk to us, is that going to allow him to do his job, do his job better and all that stuff. Man, that, you know, you're creating a bigger problem than anything if you're Kevin Durant mm. by By addressing those things in that setting, I mean, if he had an issue with Ethan Strauss, why not catch him when he's in that locker room, as KD said, you know, kind of just hanging out and putting words in people's mouth. Why not walk up to him and engage him there to man, you know, and just tell him, hey, if you you got something you want to write about me or say about me, you know, come to me first, or don't, you know, or let him know in private to not, you know, operate the way he has, but to do it in that setting when you know it's going viral. I mean, if you're Kevin Durant. You're sitting there with a microphone in your <laughs> face and you, and you go off the right. media. You've got to know what the response will be, and it's going to be viral, and, it, and it's going to be electric.
1: But what's your what's your relationship with KD? And I guess I was telling Jamal Nabate, I've been driving across country, so of course I've had, you know, hours to digest all this stuff. <laughs> and I, I guess, you know, I kind of come at it, you know, my whole thing, I'm always looking at this overwhelmingly white media. You know, mm-hmm. and I I, I I keep telling myself, man, Roland, come on, man, it's 2019, but it keeps pissing me off. You know, when I'm in these press boxes and just and I just see just all these white people, many of whom are my friends, by the way. So it's not right. that, it's, you know. Um, but I'm still thinking like the, the narrative okay, well, KD, you you're you should be grateful for just being there, and this goes with being in the media. And I'm wondering, well, a grateful really? I mean, we all should be grateful that we don't really have real jobs. And we get to, you know, do this stuff. And if there were no them, you know, say cool. If there were, think about it. If there was no them, there'd be no us, right? I'm out right. I mean, I was a jazz critic for years. If it's, as a journalist, the best we can do is tell great stories about action we perceive. You know, if there's no action, there's no us. There'd be no TV shows to be on. There'd be no without them. There's no us. And I think a lot of guys have are egotistical enough. They think that. Well, even if without them, there'd still be us. Without them, yeah. there's no us. You know, and people argue, well, without us, there's no them. It's bullshit. <laughs> you, know? you know, So, I guess my question to you is, hey, what kind of relationship do you have with them? But, um, what about this responsibility? I mean, you know, what what, what about this responsibility that they supposedly have, you know, to, to us?
4: Yeah, that's, a, that's another very interesting question. And, and I have a very cordial relationship with Katie. I don't, You know, I've been doing this long enough um, where I remember the days when you had to go to a locker room and work it every day to, to build those relationships, to be able to go in there and talk to guys. And now, you know, and I'm not knocking the new age media, but there's a lot of members of the media now who, ha- who didn't cut their teeth in the business having to go in there and write things and deal with players and, you know, absorb the responses that they had about what they liked and didn't like about what you wrote um, and, and build that back and forth that, that makes for great relationships, whether it's friendly or contentious or what have you. There's something about being there daily and that give and take and that understanding that, hey, I'm going to be here to write good stuff, bad stuff, and, and everything in between because that's my job. I think we've lost some of that in, in this new digital media. Um, and, I, and I will say this. Not only does Kevin Durant have his responsibility in terms of his media obligations, we have a responsibility on, on our side as the media to show up and do right by the people we cover. And that means we don't, you know, I don't, I never appreciate a guy taking pot shots without walking in the locker rooms. I'm not going to say names, but I've been around a lot of columnists, big city columnists over the years, And and certainly not you, Bill, but guys who would sit in the press box with us and then at the end of a game, you don't see them in the locker room and then you read their column the next day and you're like, man, a hell of a (laughs) perspective to have for not having been down there afterwards to to be on the firing line in case somebody wanted to curse you out. or You you know, know, they went crazy. Um, But I I do get where Kevin Durant is coming from also in that in this data-driven Reporting that goes on now, analytics-based reporting that we see going on and everybody trying to glean some kind of insight based off numbers only and not dealing with the person. I could see what Kevin Durant would have, you know, his his back up a little bit. The one part where I will tell you that, that he's got a benefit that a lot of players never have, and I've been in a lot of these same locker rooms and press boxes where there are scarce, you know, black faces, He's got two of the best that I know are around that team on a daily basis in Monty Poole and Marcus Thompson. Mm. Uh, two mm-hmm. accomplished African American journalists in that market who are as yep. good as it gets. And yep. if, if Katie had an issue or if he had anything he needed to work out through the media, he could go to either one of those guys and avoid the spectacle that turned into that postgame press the other night. In addition, Raymond Ritter is as good a PR man as there is yes. in the history of the league. Yes. So if he really wanted to vent, he could have gone to Raymond. I, my thing is he could have handled that in a way where he didn't have to embarrass Ethan Strauss and didn't have to make himself a story if he really just wants to go to the gym and hoop and then go home.
3: And Chris then Haynes, do
4: it, right? If Chris, that's what you want to do, yes. do it.
3: And Chris, <laughs> Han- Chris yeah. Haynes as well. Very Chris Haynes too you. in the area.
4: Yeah, and I, I don't know if Chris is around him on a daily basis like he used to be, mm-hmm. but I know what? Marcus and, and Monty are there every day. They, mm-hmm. Those right. guys are there all the time. Mm-hmm. And if, if KD had an issue with anybody in the media, he could have went to them and said, hey, how do I handle this? That, that's just a mature thing to do as a grown man and say, hey, how do I handle this without it becoming somebody that need to? And that's, all, that's my only gripe with, the, with KD is how he handled it. He's got every right to not like what somebody wrote, to disagree with somebody's opinion about him and about his situation, that's absolutely his right to take, you know, uh, to, to take umbrage with that. He should. And anybody that's being covered by us on a daily basis should, you know, pipe up and, and let us know when they don't appreciate it. I'm, I'll tell you a funny quick story. I, I covered Jamal Tinsley one year when he was playing with Indiana Pace. So he came up to me on mm-hmm. locker room cleanout day. And he asked me, he's like, man, what do you do? He's like, you're in here every day. <clears throat> and I'm curious what it is you do. And I, I was floored first and foremost. I was a young reporter, so he kind of pierced my ego. <laughs> I, I who we but, I, but I explained to him, I said, man, I said, I'm one of the, the V-writers here for the team. I said, we write about you every day. But I said, like, you don't, so you had not read anything in the Annapolis Star? No, we've been saying about you all year. He was like, not a word. And he wow. reminded me. You have to go in there, and and you gotta you gotta build relationships with an entire locker room, not just with the players you like or the guys who are nice to you and that sort of thing. You better go in there and make sure you establish yourself as a reporter and as a journalist, so you, there's a good understanding and a healthy back and forth about what your job is in that locker room.
1: And, and- yeah, you know that that's actually a great journalism lesson. You know, uh, again, it's a Super Bowl. I was building something around, so I had to talk to Julie Julian Edelman about something. Now, again. Mm-hmm. I've never spoken to Julie Edelman in my entire life, in my career. Not around the Patriots, not around it. And that whole thing with him reminded me of that because his answer was like that. I mean, he was kind of okay, but it was basically the same, I don't know you, <laughs> you know, you know. And I also I was asking him something he didn't necessarily want to deal with, you know. Right. But again, you're right. You, you always have to remind yourself that you have to be, let me ask you this, Seiko. We, you, you're you on TV a lot. Have you found mm-hmm. out that, that that helps you? That helps in terms of just breaking yes. down barriers?
4: <laughs> yes. Um, and it's funny because former players I see now, guys who I've covered who are out of the league now, it's they. It, it's even better with them because they re- remember you from being in the locker room day after day years ago, mm-hmm. 20 years, 16, 17 years ago. So your your recognition with them is great. But what it does... With current players, is they see so much of what they see is on social media and yeah. on TV, that, that that's an icebreaker without you having to go in the locker room cold, you know, and trying to establish a relationship with somebody or, um, you know, building, you know, some kind of rapport with guys. I've been on, on NBA TV enough now where the players around the league watch watch us and they, they, they listen to what we say about them, which is great. Because it keeps you on your toes as well. TV, I, I realize, has made me be much more conscious of of what I say, and, and then in turn what I write. Because I still do both. Um, you know, I can't get away with the flip comments or right. you know, with writing with writing something that I that I can't back up or stand up to if I bump into one of these guys. Mm-hmm. And I try and be as honest as I can and come from my perspective on the league, not trying to, you know, echo anybody else's sentiments or parrot anybody else's words. I just try and tell it like I see it from my years of experience. And, you know, so for some people that's that's fine. For other people, not. it's funny. I've had guys come up to me and tell me they don't agree with me. Um, I, I do the MVP ladder on NBA.com every Friday. But let me tell you, I've had some people <laughs> upset that they're not higher on that MVP list every week, which is not a – it's not like I'm picking the award. It's just a weekly chronicling of, of who should be where, in my opinion. Mm. But it it makes for very interesting back and forth. Next week in Charlotte will be, uh, you know, case in point. I'll bump into a lot of guys who I've said a lot of things about or written a lot of things about over the course of the year. And some guys are, you know, they love to go back and forth with you about it, or discuss it, and other guys, you can tell they're not, they're not very happy with you. There's a guy in the league right now who is still gives me the side eye in Lachos. He's been in the league a long time. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to say his name, but I wrote something about him when he was in high school, and I, and uh-huh. I wrote basically <clears throat> that he should not skip college for the NBA. He and another young player, Monte, uh, Monte, Ellis. Monte Ellis, were both in that same class, and and I wrote that neither one of them should skip college for the pros, and and he's never let me forget it. He's never not giving me that side eye <laughs> when I when I see him in <laughs> locker rooms or around the league, and I know what it's from. I, I talked to his agent about it. He does not appreciate me being critical of him when he was a senior in high school. I know he's who it, I know who it is. Been well, in the league for years. Wow. Well, well, yeah, you can guess who it is. But yeah, I mean, he's been in the league for years. He's still he still you about
3: it. Yeah. <laughs> we're
0: here we're here with uh, we're here with Sekou Smith NBA.com, NBA TV. Um, I just wanted to we talked about Durant um I just wanted to get to remember there's some there's there's a reason this all came about with Durant um it was mm-hmm. it started kind of with the with the Knicks trade of of Porzingis and clearing up cap space and Durant all of a sudden disappearing for about 7 days refusing to talk <laughs> um that's kind of that's kind of where this all this all came from what what's your take on that on that situation you know Putting aside what Durant had to say the other day,
4: um, well, I think it's very interesting that Anthony Davis is a villain for doing exactly what Kristaps Porzingis did, and then execute. He did get he, he asked for a trade and got it, um, but you don't hear anybody labeling him a villain for getting mm-hmm. out of town the way he did before his contract was up. I think that's very interesting. Um, I've had a, I've had this conversation and, and debate the last few days with a lot of people. I agree with LeBron James in that why should a player who's getting out of his deal early or, or trying to force his way to a different situation be vilified when nobody says a word about the Memphis Grizzlies putting two of their franchise players on the trading block as if that's anything other than smart business for a franchise that's getting ready to start over. Uh, so I, I understand the sensitivity that LeBron and and, and any player would have about the narrative that we've, you know, when these situations come up. I've, I've never understood the parochial nature of, of us in the media when we always side with the teams or the leagues as if there's only one perspective to have. I, I, I totally understand both sides of it and what the stakes are and, and why the teams and, and the organizations and leagues believe that they're – Perspective should be, you know, the prevailing wisdom, and why players would push back on that and, and want people to see it from their side. Our, our job is to present the facts. In certain situations, there are other times, like in my case, where I'm asked my opinion about it, and right. but I have to be able to convey the difference. You know, when I'm asked about my opinion or when I'm reporting on just the news, it's two different things, two very, very different things coming from the same source.
1: But even, even your opinions, though. Uh, we deal with this with a lot of young, you know, young journalists who think opinion is opinion. Even your opinion, Seiko, is based on, on facts that you know and your interpretation of facts. And then you make it, you, you know, you, you, report it out and then you say, okay, I'll have an opinion, but it's not just kind of drawing something out the air. It's based on right. some things that you know, some things you're reporting. Then at that point, you could be like, you are know, like uh, Solomon. And then kind of based on everything you've known and heard, then you kind of say, okay, and this is what I think about it. Yeah. But it's not yeah, just absolutely. kind of making the shit up, you know, or, or just saying, <laughs> I, think, I think this. Well, yeah, well, I think this. <laughs> you know. It
4: was based on, you know, it's based on years of experience. Um, right. John Schumann, who works for me at NBA.com, and we do a podcast together twice a week, and mm-hmm. we had a knockdown dragout argument with Anthony Davis and this trade cuz he was just furious. He couldn't believe, you know, why would the why would a guy demand, you know, a trade to get out of his contract with this much time left and he and I told him I said, "Why why are you upset with the player or his representative for demanding a trade as if they they're encroaching upon whatever it is we do." I said, "We we don't. We don't have to advocate for either side." I said, "The, the agent and his representative, you know, who represents these players that's his job. He works for the player. He doesn't care right. about the team. Like, why would Rich Paul care about Dell Demps and his feelings? If Anthony Davis wants a trade, his job is to demand and request a trade for the guy he represents. And Dell Demps' job is to do exactly what he
1: did—exactly to
4: ignore any overtures at the trade deadline and hold on to Anthony Davis until July. I mean, that this is the business of basketball, and I think sometimes you know, the players and the people involved don't get that education about just what a cutthroat bottom line business it is until they get into these situations. I've covered the league long enough to know I don't get sentimental about players being connected to teams because I know it's a business. If Shaq can get traded, which happened during the time I've covered <laughs> That's league, right. That's anybody right. can get I mean literally nothing is sacred.
3: Well, speaking of the trade in deadline, um which team which team do you think really augmented their plan and which team uh, pretty much like did something baffling that could affect their franchise for next year
4: I think a couple of teams really several teams in the Eastern Conference put put themselves in much more advantageous positions to, to compete for championships this year and potentially in the future um, Philadelphia went all in obviously uh, you know adding Tobias Harris on top of getting Jimmy Butler early this year, which I can't tell you the last time I remember a team getting two players of that caliber in contract years, you know, in in the same season and and kind of altering their trajectory immediately. Um, But I feel like Elton Brand and and his staff in Philly, they're they're clearly all in. I love what Masai Ujiri did in getting Mark Gasol. I think that's a game changer for the Raptors, no doubt.
3: Defensively Um, especially.
4: Because now you well, and not only that. Think about this: you, you've insulated yourself now. So whatever happens with Kawhi Leonard, you're going to go into the next season because Marcus I don't. It won't get lost in translation that he's got a player option on that contract for 25 plus million dollars. He's not opting <laughs> out of that puppy. I mean, he's making sure he gets his hands on on those pesos. Um, so you got that as an insurance, as you know, for for the Raptors, depending on how Kawhi's summer in free agent process goes and, and then, you know, Nico Miritich mm. going to Milwaukee, which has been a, an Amazing. absolute stunner to see the, the, Bucks alter their DNA the way they have since Mike Budenholzer showed up, changes the game for them as well. I feel like all three of those teams have put themselves in a much different position now to challenge the Boston Celtics for that spot. in the Eastern conference finals that Boston has held on to the last couple of years now, With no LeBron in the way, uh, which LeBron talked about the other night. You know, yeah, he's right. They're loading up at the top of the Eastern Conference because there's a path to the finals that previously has not been there because of the team LeBron was on in Cleveland. So I think those teams have absolutely changed the, you know, the the framework for how they're going to compete at the highest level this season and, and potentially into the future. As far as a team that went backwards or did something that didn't make sense to me, there are a lot of teams that do that at the trade deadline, but it's usually calculated. It's usually, even if it's misguided, it's usually them trying to do something to to, to pave the way for an opportunity later. And so anybody that's dumping contracts or changing things around, you know, they're doing it with, the summer in mind, and, and who I think really did a great job of it but didn't improve their situation for right away, is the Los Angeles Clippers. Jerry mm-hmm. West, those guys out there, are clearly playing chess for free agency while everybody yeah. else is playing checkers for right now. Which is- and we'll see if it pays off in their recruitment of, of some of these big names in the summer, but they've clearly put themselves in a position much the way the Knicks did. Um, mm-hmm. And I know the Knicks took a lot of heat for giving up Porzingis, but if you're gonna chase free agents in the summer of 2019, you got to do what Steve Mills and Scott Perry did as well, and what the Clippers did. You got to create the space to go after these players, and then see if what you're selling and the culture you're trying to build is gonna, uh, you know, rope somebody in and get and them to come take that
1: money and, and be the face of your franchise.
3: And it's gonna be a battle. I was happy
1: they did. It. Actually, I was I was
3: relieved that they
1: finally traded that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and and and. and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean Porzingis clearly
4: didn't want to be in New York. He made that clear.
1: And, and yeah, and he said, "Well, cool. You don't like us. We don't like you." Yeah. yeah. Well, well you did notice- do you like uh, LeBron in L.A.?
4: I do, and, I, and I'm a—I'll admit I'm an L.A.
1: guy. I, I was 12
4: years old, and my dad drove us from my hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan, to L.A. for the Summer Olympics <laughs> with all my relatives out there, and I was—it was love at first sight as for a 12-year-old. In the breakdancing era, and I had my cousins that lived out there who had bandanas and jerry curls. They you were know, showing me how to breakdance all summer. I was, I was hooked. I was ready to move. I told my parents, for. Like, let's, let's stay out here forever. Right. <laughs> I get L.A. is the allure that it is for everybody. I mean, that many millions of people couldn't be wrong, right?
1: right no, I love L.A. You kidding me? I mean, I think New York is the greatest city on earth. Uh, but I like
3: LA a lot, and LA is going to be a soap opera this summer between the Clippers and Lakers. Now,
1: oh
4: no
3: question, mm-hmm.
4: you got both the two two biggest markets in the league, flush with cap space. Yeah. Both teams right. in right. both markets, Brooklyn right. and the Knicks, mm. and then the Clippers and the Lakers, it's going to be a it's going to be hilarious to watch the drama that flies back and forth coast to coast. The NBA yeah. to me assaulted the the, the NFL this year oh. with yeah. Anthony Davis. It was dropping the way it did on the Monday morning of Super Bowl week. Right. <laughs> <see> <laughs> Took over the whole over. week. We can't hit you up the head again, NFL, all summer long with NBA news dominating the headlines. I love it. It's just, to me, it's fantastic for us. that cover the league, um, and it makes those two electric markets. I mean, New, uh, I've been going to New York, covering NBA games for, you know since 2000, and I'm telling you, it, it never gets old. Walking into Madison Square Garden, just like it never gets old riding around in L.A. With the, <laughs> with the top down. <laughs> yeah,
1: top down.
4: I love it.
1: I love it. <laughs> what, what, what do you think? I mean, I feel the same way. You know, I mean, I, I, I always think, although New York has been so down for so long, but, you know, the NBA is never better than it is when New York is really great. I mean, I, I think it, it's clearly it can survive and it's done well without it. But you never know when it gets into that higher gear – you know, when it really pops, it's great. So, do you, I mean, what do you think is going to I mean, it's, clearly we're just debating. What do you think, Anthony, Dave, when the smoke is cleared, mm-hmm. what, what do you think the league is going to look like in terms of major players relocating? Right.
4: Um, you know, it's hard to tell because I think the real linchpin to this whole summer is the guy we started out talking about. I think Kevin Durant is the guy who's mm. going to, shift the balance of power in the league if he decides to leave if he decides to go elsewhere and and wrap up his time with the Warriors after just three seasons wow I mean then then the whole league shifts I mean if he goes to New York and somebody else joins him there be a Kyrie or or whoever then you're talking about a real shift in the balance of power that no offense to Anthony Davis. He can go join LeBron or whoever he wants to Our West. The East will be so strong when you think about Milwaukee, Philadelphia, you know, uh, Boston, you know, uh, Toronto, depending on what happens there. And Then you have New York with a couple of stars. Then you'd have the, you know, the, the top of the Western Conference with Houston and the Warriors and the Lakers and whoever the Clippers were able to get their hands on, you know, Utah rising in the West, Denver rising West. I mean, it could, it would be a, a period to me in the years I've covered the league where both sides of the conference ledger were were as strong as they've been. Because I was telling somebody the other day, I never remember hearing people bellyaching about how weak the Western Conference was when the Bulls were winning all their championships. Right, exactly. Again, when exactly. the first started winning, it was this, it's this thing every year about how soft, Oh, the East is so pathetic. We got to reseed the playoffs and make sure we're fair to these teams in the West that <laughs> win 50 games and don't make. You know, it's like that. It's funny to me how we have this revisionist history about this balance. When, you know, and honestly, we're going to be honest about it. There's always been about three and a half, four teams on each side that were really championship level teams. Right. 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 Otherwise, right. in the same nine franchises have dominated the nba in the modern era you can go run through who's won the championships it doesn't take long it hasn't been the kind of parody that i think people want to attach to the game and and aspire for the league to have you know this well everybody's got a chance to win a championship it hasn't been like that in in forever i mean going back to the bill russell Celtics, it's it's been dominated by a full of teams
0: that's right. Well, say cool. Thank you. Know thanks for joining us. I just before before we let you go, I just got one question. We you talked about the East. We're talking about the East. Uh, you know, becoming more mm-hmm. powerful. Uh, Toronto improved. Milwaukee improved. Philly improved. Boston stays the same uh, for now. Who do you? I'm gonna put you on the spot. Who's coming out of the East?
1: I, you know, I I really feel like. Cool, could you please tell Jamal the Knicks just just for the hell of it, just of it, you know, just, just say that just for the hell of it. They'll they'll win thirty the, in a row. <laughs> the,
3: the, Knicks are, the Knicks the Knicks are
0: taken for Zion. Yeah. Don't don't They're, bother them.
3: They'll win thirty in a row, be the seventh seed, and then you know be like ninety nine again, something like that. <laughs> <laughs>
4: All right. Knicks
2: fans uh, need to
4: go ahead and and uh, fortify themselves for the next six months and hope that. All the hard work that that front office is doing to change the books and change the culture in that organization pays off. they got a huge summer coming up, but it's not happening right now. You're going to watch Milwaukee be, to me, the team to beat in the the Eastern Conference playoffs. I feel like they have not only the right kind of synergy as a group, Giannis is unbelievable. And, and they've surrounded him with the kind of length and shooters with length. And Miritich, McLopez, Chris Middleton, mm. that can put them over the top. I know they haven't done it in the postseason as a group, but I feel like they are on the cusp of something special there. It'll be interesting to see what kind of reaction we get to if they do this in that market because it will kind of shut shut the door. on a lot of this talk about mid-major markets not being – able to compete, you know, their stars leaving. I mean, it could go a long way for for the league, at least, in terms of shutting up that narrative. And and I think with no LeBron in the way, I tend to go with the best, most dynamic player. And I think Giannis, followed by Joel Embiid, are the two most dynamic forces in the Eastern Conference. No offense to Kyrie Irving and all these other guys who are all-stars and great players. But I'm going with the guy who I think is the very best and most dynamic, and I think that puts Milwaukee in the pole position and mm-hmm. Philadelphia right behind him.
0: All right. Oh, All right. Well, I appreciate it. Once again, once again, Sekou Smith, NBA.com, NBA TV. Thanks again for joining us and, uh, you know, providing us with your insight. Appreciate it.
4: Appreciate that, gentlemen. Thank hey, you. Sekou, Thank thanks you for so much. That was great. Yes, sir. Yeah, you've always been kind of my, my shining light in this business. I appreciate you so much.
1: Oh man! Well, you know, keep it
0: going, my brother. <laughs> yes,
4: sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank See you, all, all right. star.
0: See you, at all care. star. Definitely. All right. So that was that was a great NBA discussion. Um, we're about ready to get up out of here for, for this week. It was, you know, great, great discussion. Pro football, NBA, uh, Frank Robinson, of course. But before we get out of here, uh, we all have some final thoughts and uh, basically what annoyed us this week. So. Nabate, what's on your mind?
3: The fact that Julian Edelman has been talked about as a possible Hall of Famer. Now, this, mm. this is what really gets to me. I, don't get me wrong. Julian Edelman has been a, a clutch performer in the playoffs. There's no question about it. But also, too, he's a product of the system. There's no question. He was underdrafted. Obviously, there are teams that didn't feel that he was good enough to be drafted in the seven rounds, and and I and I give him a lot of respect for him being able to cultivate a great um, not gr- let me the word great is you know that's a word that you know I gotta watch what I say but to cultivate right. a good career from the standpoint of where he came from, but that's the Patriots' way. Wes Welker was able to to have a to have a. Uh, good career in that system. Danny Amendola had moments in that system with the Patriots. And then you look at Deion Branch, Troy Brown, those guys aren't Hall of Famers. But why aren't, Why didn't anyone say that Troy Brown is, is a Hall of Famer? Because Troy Brown was big part of those three championships earlier in, in Tom Brady's run. Uh, and he was someone that played both sides of the field. And also, you look at, at Julian Edelman. It's not like that he's been a top twenty receiver right now in the NFL, or ever been a top twenty receiver in the NFL. So if you're and never made a Pro Bowl. So if you're going to be considering him to be a Hall of Famer, then consider all the other receivers that you know. Uh, Isaac Bruce isn't in the Hall of Fame yet, right? right. Compared to, you know, right. I, I can just I'll name. Take, I'll definitely take him. I could go. I could go down the list of people. Even Chad Johnson. You you know? So I could go down the list. So it just just upsets me. We need white people in the Hall of Fame. We need white
1: (laughs) white receivers in the Hall of Fame.
3: And then it was so funny. Someone mentioned, like I was on a chat thing, mentioned Len Swan. I'm like uh Lance Swan revolutionized the game from all those uh errant passes that uh <laughs> that, that Terry Bradshaw was throwing, you know, him and John Stallworth. <laughs> so it's like and also in those days the passing game wasn't as prolific right. as it is now, but Edelman's numbers or his skill set doesn't match the receivers that are out there right now. So I'm just I'm just saying, you know, please chill it. You know, chill out with, with uh, the Hall of Fame talk when it comes to Julian Edelman. Please, everybody, respect to him, him being clutch, him being a product of the system, him excelling in that system. But please, if you're going to put him in a Hall of Fame, put Troy Brown, Deion Branch in there, e- even Wes Walker. Put, put them in there. Mm.
1: All right. All right. I got you. Uh, my, final, my final thought has to do with um, the Super Bowl, the NFL, and Colin Kaepernick. You know, I I uh, went to Ebenezer Baptist Church for the first time during the Super Bowl, and uh, it was a very powerful experience. We went to Dr. King's house, and just you could almost feel the echoes and the spirits and all that. And I went there with uh, Roger Goodell, you know, the commissioner of the NFL, and, and Arthur Blank, the owner of the uh, Falcons. And, and of course, everybody we heard the last five minutes of Dr. King's speech about uh, the drum major. Instinct, where he talked about, you know, at my funeral, don't tell everybody I want a Nobel Peace Prize. Don't tell them, just tell my want to help people. And so, of course, everybody loved it. And afterwards, everybody was the you know, commissioner and Arthur told "Yeah, Dr. King, Dr. King." And afterwards, Paul Tagleboo was there too, the former commissioner. Afterwards, I said, you know, you know that given Dr. King's history, which you guys embraced, he was a more revolutionary than people thought. He would have loved the fact and he he supported, although he was killed in April, he supported the idea of an Olympic boycott. And you know that if he were alive today and saw an NFL that was like almost 70% of black players and NBA that was 80%, knowing how he uses leverage, he would use that leverage and he would have appreciated a guy like Colin Kaepernick who actually engaged in a nonviolent protest. And so my question is, how, and you know that if he were alive that, he probably would have embraced Kaepernick. So wow. how do you embrace saying that you love everything Dr. King stood for with basically punishing a guy like Kaepernick who knelt? Mm-hmm. And there was no great answer to that. So <laughs> if there's any a final thought I've got, is the NFL still has a major issue. Uh, Kaepernick's spirit hung over the Super Bowl. And to me, it's still uh, like racism is an unresolved American problem. So that's my final
0: thought. All right. Well, uh, speaking of uh, still being an issue and racism, my my original final thought was going to be Kevin Durant. but We've talked about that enough. But what about Virginia and Virginia politics? I mean, Mm. the governor. Turns out he has pictures of, of himself in blackface on his medical school yearbook. He should definitely step down over that. He hasn't yet, by the way. Then it turns out the brother who's supposed to take his place as governor, he has his own sexual assault allegations. So, you know, that, that's going to be a problem. He probably won't be able he, he's not going to be the person that's going to be asked to take, take over the governorship position. So of course we're going to go to the third Person, the third string person, you know, that, that should mm-hmm. be fine, right? They Let's should be able to find somebody to take over with, with as the it, government. No, no problem, right? The, thir- the third integrity. guy, third guy, <clears throat> third guy, gotta be gotta be clean, right? So it turns out, <laughs> guess what? Guess what? He also has pictures in his yearbook in blackface. What is what? What? I mean, Virginia must be really racist, and obviously, it's not just Virginia; it's the South in general, and the country as a whole. I mean, it just shows you how deep, deeply embedded you know, racism is. I mean, you know, it was a thing in yep. Virginia and, every, and all these other states for, for guys to run around in blackface and just blatantly put it on, put it on, their, on, their, uh, on their yearbook pages and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's what annoyed me, um, and it still annoys me, and it's probably going to annoy me for, for the rest of the year, or at least. You know, for the rest of my time on this earth, this, this blackface thing, is just, is just ridiculous. Okay, so to the future generations, to the young kids, do not dress up in blackface. Right. Okay, leave the shoe polish at
1: home.
0: <laughs> exactly, leave it at home. All right, guys, I think I think that does it for today. Um, for the For the week, we'll be back. We'll be back next week, of course, uh, with another episode of Bill Roden on Sports Bros Pod. Thank you, Bill, once again for joining your own show.
1: Move. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> my <laughs> pleasure. Love to be a guest on my own show.
0: Good stuff, Tabate. <laughs> Thank you. Pleasure, pleasure. And uh, we'll catch up with you guys next week. All Star Weekend. All Star Weekend. We'll be we'll be at All Star Weekend, and we'll try to you know bring home some content for you guys. Enjoy the parties. All right. Oh, you know it. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. We'll see. We'll see everybody next week. Take care.